Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am and how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost. Chapter 1. Wayfair welcomes you to the neighborhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the neighborhood," she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. I've been dog-sitting Rambo, so I'm still used to speaking in high pitches. (laughs) Because that's how I speak to a dog. Well, I mean, we can continue that on in the show if you want. (laughs) And then they were murdered. (laughs) (laughs) That's very upsetting. (laughs) Yeah. I just went uh, to one of my favorite places. I'm a huge theme park nerd. And my hometown has one called Kennywood. And, uh, well, it's an amusement park. And uh, it was so fun, but I legit pulled a muscle in my arm on one of the roller coasters. So. Oh, no, Natalie, how are you going to jerk off? I don't know. How I got to try to, I'm going to have to work on the other hand, I guess. Yeah, you got to jerk that sweet dick off now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's like, it's like a stranger. I guess. But is your arm like, is it wrapped up or is it? No, no, no. No, it'll be fine. Uh, it's just very funny. Oh, you just got to hurt, like, go through the pain? That's how I injured myself. Um, Welcome to Someplace Underneath. I'm Natalie Jean. I'm Amber Nelson. And we are in various states of, well, we're in various states of the country (laughs) and also in various states of uh, health and and pain. Are you feeling relatively uh, together? Amber? I'm great. I'm a little hungover, but other than that, I am top drawer. Ooh, cool. Yeah, yeah I'm, I am too. We're in a hotel room where I'm able to like fall asleep for 10 hours at a night, which I really, really needed. Uh, so I'm doing good though. You know, I'm filled, filled with alcohol, but also filled with sleep. Good for you. You need it. Thanks. Yeah. So we're going right back into, we're going to conclude this series on the 23 Pipeline. If You will recall on our last episode, we discussed some of the missing women who were from this community. And we talked a little bit about what possibly could have been going on here and why this huge collection of people all were kind of facing the same like terrible fate in this time period. So what is going on here? Um, Is it a serial killer taking what is considered the less missing victims that we have here? Is it just human traffickers? Is it corruption from authority figures? It seems to be a bit of a potpourri. Ooh. A potpourri from hell. A hodgepodge. Yes. So these people that just take these women because they know it's okay, I can take her because she's on drugs and no one's going to care. It makes my blood boil. Yeah, it really grinds my gears, I'll tell you. So here's some potential uh, leads that we could be looking more into. Initially, there was some interest in looking at a scuzz bucket by the name of Neil Falls. Uh, He was a serial killer who was shot in the head with his own gun by a sex worker he was trying to murder in July. Good for her. Yeah, July of 2015. It's an absolutely nightmarish, you know, scenario for this poor woman. But she uh, is a hero. 
And yeah. she sent him straight to hell. I feel like all sex workers should have guns. You know what I mean? Especially if you work in the street, you should have a gun or a weapon. And if you kill your John or you kill the guy you're with, I'm going to look the other way. Personally, that's me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a tough one because... Yeah, I do. I do think that a a sex worker should have a weapon on them. But it's like it's such a hard balance because I wonder if then that makes them seem like maybe it makes the John seem threatened if they find a weapon and then they attack because they feel it's it sucks. There's just no really safe way to to deal with this. But with this woman um, and specifically, she had something I think she had a rake or something in her hand in he had the gun and he was trying to wrestle it out of her hands and he put his gun down to grab the thing out of her uh, hands and she picked up his gun and shot over her shoulder into his head. Like wow. crazy. So great. Wow. Good for her. Eileen Woodrose, girl boss. <laughs> yeah, this is a girl boss moment. You're right. Um <laughs> the reason he was being looked at was because he was active in the same time period that these women were disappearing and also that he targeted sex workers generally. This guy, he was born in 69 and he had displayed various disturbing signs throughout his younger years. And then in 2008, he began to show signs of something called dramomania which apparently is a compulsive need to wander, which I feel, yeah, I I feel personally attacked by that. We got all these new things coming out. Come on, man. So in his case, it meant he was frequently changing his place of residence, uh, his state of residence as well from 2009 to 2015, living in Oregon, Indiana, Mm -hmm. Kentucky, Texas, et cetera, where he was detained by police on several occasions for traffic violations, but they never connected him to murders at that time. Unfortunately, in fact, police didn't know his crimes pre-mortem. It was only in the aftermath of his being shot were they able to connect him to the violent murders of at least four sex workers from across the country. Oh, my God. Yeah, after he was killed, police discovered a list he had in his pocket with the names of six sex workers. There was no further explanation or notes explaining as to why those names were written down, but the obvious implications aren't great because he had been killing women. It's not clear why Mm. he chose those names or those people. However, the police tracked down those names and all of them were alive and accounted for. So Maybe they were on a nice list. Yeah, maybe he was like, those are the ones I won't. Yeah. I, I hope that's the case. Um, so, yeah, they were okay. And none of the names that they found on that list were women from the 23 Pipeline area. Mm. Mostly they were women from West Virginia and one was from San Diego. But because of his pattern of moving from state to state, they were testing his DNA on multiple unsolved crimes, including a string of murders on Interstate 70 in the 90s. Uh, he was in the general area of the country for some of those killings, but forensics couldn't directly connect any evidence to corroborate these speculations that he might've been involved. This is the same for the cases within the 23 pipeline. He hasn't been ruled out, but there hasn't been any forensic evidence to link him to them so far, but he had been active in areas nearby, you know? Yeah. He's just a nasty man. Yeah. He's a fucking butthole and he's gone and I'm glad whether or not this lead has been enough thoroughly investigated is another question that I don't have the answers to it's still you know I I I know that mostly these women are being investigated by local police which like we talked about even good or bad intentions they might not have the resources they need to like fully investigate things so there's a chance that this man was involved with it's plausible. It's plausible that false could have gotten to one or more of these women. I personally don't think so. To me, much more likely, in my opinion, is the probability that these women were victims of their surroundings and the various threats that they were face to face with on a daily basis, i.e. somebody they knew. Yeah, because if he likes to wander, why would he stick around and like kill a bunch of women in one spot? You know, you kill a little over here, a little over here, kill a little over here, you know, not all in like one little area. Yes, that's also um, 
that's also a point, yeah, because m- most of his crimes that he was charged with, well, you know, post-mortem, mm-hmm. they weren't collected in one area. And it's also plausible that he could have it could have been one of those women. He might have come through and that one of those women was not connected to the others and crime-wise at least. Yeah, maybe um, just one. What's that wandering disease again? Dramomania. Dramomania? Damn, yeah. I got a little bit of that in me. I know, same. <laughs> I felt uh, very insulted. <laughs> <laughs> so when I say, you know, it was more likely somebody they knew, what do I mean by that? Well, first... We have the drug runners and the traffickers who are at the very least abusing most of these women. That we can be sure of. And there were a few names that popped up a number of times from people. The biggest name that would come up over and over was a man named Ernest Dollar Bill Moore. That's a scary name, Dollar Bill. You don't want to piss off Dollar Bill. For real, though, um, Dollar Bill is his, you know, street name. But I'm not going to use that because I I feel like that's a form of armor you use to make yourself sound scarier. So I'm going to moving forward, and he's just going to be plain old Ernest Moore. Ernest, haha, Ernest. He sounds ugly. I mean, he's an <laughs> ugly, ugly, stupid man. You had to come up with the name Dollar Bill so people would stop making fun of him. Yeah. I'm glad he's in jail right now because he's scary. Because <laughs> he's um, going to come kill us. <laughs> no, yeah. Yes. Um, so, yeah, this guy, by most accounts, is more than a little unstable. Before he was in federal prison, where he currently is in the middle of serving a 13-year sentence for charges that we'll talk about in a minute, his main location was Chillicothe. Everyone in the drug and quote-unquote party community knows him. He's a big supplier in that area. So a big fish in a small pond, in other words. Mm. I use the term, quote unquote, party, because a lot of the people caught in the drug loop use that term. When I think in in this area, at least, when I think of partying, I think of, you know, drinking, weed, maybe somebody's got mushrooms. I wouldn't be that surprised to see somebody doing a line of coke somewhere if we're getting like really crazy. Yeah, but they're doing heroin. Yeah. That's hard. not a party. No. I That's mean, like, it's like, I gotta go. Yeah, exactly. When you see that coming out, you're like, oh no, I need to leave this building. <laughs> I must go. No, um, this is not a party. I gotta leave. Yeah. So hard drug use is so normalized in this area, in this community that when they say partying, they mean crack, meth, and heroin, etc. It's another pitfall of growing up here. Shasta Himmelrich who's one of the deceased women that we spoke of last episode. If you'll recall, she was a 20-year-old girl who had been pregnant with the baby of a guy who was a big in the drug community in Chillicothe. She was the one who was found, unfortunately, in the Scioto River, and her death was deemed a suicide, despite some very suspicious factors. Yeah. Um, yeah. On the series, The Vanishing Women, Shasta's friend and former roommate talked about how, in essence— Hardcore drug use was so normalized, so much of, around them that by the time Shasta was 18, 19 years old, she fully thought that she could just fuck around with heroin casually and they wouldn't become one of those addicts. It was just at parties, you know, it's just a fun oh. thing to do. It's just everywhere around them. That's so scary. I can't imagine having a kid there. Like when I was a kid, my parents were worried about, you know, me coming home late, you know, and not just like doing heroin. Yeah. That's so but sad. It's You know, it's the aftermath of pill mill um, yeah. culture. It really is. Because you got to get high and you mm-hmm. can't get, afford to get high. So this is how you do it. You had these, wow. you know, doctors and these people in suits acting like it was totally fine to take these pills. And then it's just it's a, like just a little hop, skip and a jump That's over it. to and this this land. Over to this. And Rush Limbaugh got addicted to that. Like, it's not just like pills only for like poor people no for sure it's that anybody can get addicted to this even fucking horrible turds like rush limbaugh can get stuck (laughs) um yeah no i mean painkiller addiction is everywhere yeah yeah, nobody's not susceptible to that for sure which is why i'm so scared of them i never ever take them even like for dental stuff no you just fight through the pain yeah because it's so tough 
punch the air. I'm not. <laughs> um, I'm just so scared of them. I don't take them. Um, so listening to many of the people around Chillicothe, Portsmouth, and Columbus, mistreatment is also fairly normalized. And I mean that by police, by romantic partners, by family members, by everyone. With a crime rate of 77 per 1,000 residents, Chillicothe is one of the highest crime rates in America compared Ooh. to all communities of all sizes, from the smallest towns to the very largest cities. One's chance of becoming a victim of either violent or property crime here is 1 in 13. Ooh. This most certainly is directly connected to the opioid epidemic. You would think like the highest crime rate would be like New York City, you know, not Ohio. Like a yep. town. Yep, but I guess like, there's nothing to do, you know, in this pill mills. It's just, it's it's truly, it's the the cycle of drug addiction. It's It does this. It causes theft. It causes violence. It causes people being exploited. And I I, I'm certain that it's connected to the opioid epidemic. So in Shasta's case... The man who impregnated her, who is, it's a guy named Michael O's, spelled O-W-E-S, which is an ironic name, was looked upon when they found her body because he was, you know, they looked at him as somebody who was potentially, as, as the partner, as a boyfriend, they're always looked at, of course, but yeah. He was also openly telling people that he was using her for her money oh. and didn't hide that he was sleeping with and dating other women despite leading Shasta along that they were going to become this family. What a scumbag. Shasta had really was enamored with this guy for some reason. She he probably really, had good dick, you know, like some, some, some as so many times I've seen a guy with a good, who, good dick who just like strings me along, hurts me breaks my heart and I'm Aww, just like it's Amber. okay because he's a nice man like no he just made me come if yeah. you can make a woman come you can get away with murder yeah so you know it could be something like that for sure she wanted that like let, she wanted the the family with him she wouldn't she wanted them to be mom dad and baby and mm. he was very disinterested in that but she just really wanted she was young I mean she's 20 so yeah. you think I can fix him you can't fix anybody they're right. who they are yeah. Uh, so the money that I was just referring to that he was using with Shasta's came from when her father passed away suddenly. She was absolutely devastated. His life insurance paid her out $50,000 and 50 grand in this area might as well be a million dollars. I mean, even for LA. It's a lot yeah. Of I mean, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. The sharks, of course, then start swarming immediately around her. Because that's somebody with a lot more money in the bank account than most of them would have. You buy a lot of heroin with that. Michael O's was one of those people. So though Shasta had been clean for some time at this point, she had, had stopped. Um, she had stopped using at this point. Uh, she succumbed to grief, and I think just the desperate need to want to be accepted and loved. She started letting everyone buy drugs with the money she received, and she started using again. No. Yeah, she died right as the money was about to dry up. Michael's behavior certainly sent up some red flags, but he essentially was cleared of her death when they deemed it a suicide. Just another in a long line of people who mistreated Shasta in her life. That's so sad. It is really sad. It sucks. On the record, he was cleared, but again, it's hard to gauge whether or not these cases are being fully investigated by the local police. This probably should have been looked into by the feds at this point, like I said, but, you know, it, there was no interest drummed up to do that. Yeah. So back to Ernest Moore. He's currently in prison. Ernest. Sorry. Ernest. <laughs> I just want to keep making fun of him because I know he's such a bad man. Ernest. Well, yeah. And it sucks because, well, we'll I'm going to talk about his childhood here. So. He is in prison currently, but he's not for in anything in regards to any of these these missing women. So why is he in prison? Well, mid-2017, he was charged with conspiracy to distribute heroin and also for kidnapping charges. Oh, cool. Kidnapping, you say? So there is a man named Arthur Hamlin, and he was tortured. <gasps> He allegedly stole some drugs from, from Ernst Moore. No, never steal a dealer's drugs. 
Yeah. They but go you know, crazy. This is a really common when you are in, like in the throes of like you need a drug that bad. It You know, shit happens. And this guy was a supplier. He, he. Oh, yeah. Drugs make people do crazy shit. Like when I was a bartender, like I get people want to like jinx the system and steal. I get it. But if you're going to steal, like do it right. There would be a guy who would just take money out of the till. Yeah. And he would just go get it for drugs. And I was like, dude, they're going to count the money at the end of the night. Right. And they know that you had the money. He's like, I just, he just wanted to get Coke. That was it. That's all he wanted was cocaine. Yeah. He was so shocked he got fired. I'm like, they yeah. see you literally on camera taking the money. <laughs> yeah. And the, the, you know, I think the line of reasoning at that point is it's only to get, get the drug. There's no other thoughts. You yeah. just got to get it. Yeah. And you'll fucking deal with the other stuff later on. Yeah. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll kill this person. I'll torture them. I'll take money out of the till on camera. Who cares? Yeah. Right. So in this attack that he was charged with, Moore kidnapped this guy, Arthur, burned him multiple times, sodomized him with, I think, a broomstick, um, beat him, duct taped him. The guy, I don't imagine that he was super steady beforehand, but this Arthur Hamlin guy is now, he is out there. Uh, he was interviewed for one of the series and he sort of swings between being cognizant into these wild like screaming bouts and then he'll start talking like and acting like a five-year-old it's really crazy that's probably where he had to go in his own brain to like nurture himself I mean if you've been tortured like that like you have to nurture yourself somehow and I guess you go back to being five years old and that's how you talk I, to yeah yourself. it could be something like that I don't know what he was like pre uh kidnapping but I don't think he was doing like awesome beforehand. Yeah. But obviously this isn't going to help anything. But he wasn't like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh, terrifying just to like dramatically change someone's spirit like that to torture them like that. Yeah. Ooh. And just, you know, the, the, the level of cruelty displayed for him stealing, you know, it was a, certainly a thing where he wasn't stealing it to sell. Like this guy clearly ha was an no. addict and he just took it. It was probably um, like $10 worth of crack. Right. Exactly. That's what I'm guessing. Like nothing. Yeah. But it's so, just the concept of you steal from me. I can't right. be seen to be a pussy on the streets. So I'm going to sodomize you, torture you, burn you. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Like a real big man. Mm. So Moore is currently in jail from this incident. Fellow dealers and hustlers who have worked alongside Moore have described him in different ways, such as calling him a gremlin, heartless, don't care about nobody, Ooh. dudes fried. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. Chapter one, Wayfair welcomes you to the neighborhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the neighborhood, she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus. Hmm? You're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. So Ernest Moore comes from Columbus. One of his childhood friends actually spoke to the documentarian, Joe Berlinger. So the man that grew up with Ernest Moore said that Moore was an awkward kid with, un, you know, not cool clothes uh, he had a natural limp. Um, his legs were two different sizes. He has a lazy eye. Ooh. So he is ugly. I was right. Y yeah. <laughs> Technically, right. yes. He's just a mean man. I know. This all stems from childhood. He's just it does, yeah. an ugly little kid that didn't want to work on his personality. So he yeah. just like lashed out and made himself into a warlord. And then that's how he, he did it. That's how he survived. It's very much like comic book villain like yeah. he was picked on a lot. Girls didn't like him. He probably didn't come from a lot of means. And the, his childhood friends said at this point, 
you know, more realized that, oh, the money in women would show up with drugs. Wow. I mean, but, he could have gone the other way and been nice, you know? Yeah, you know. He could have done that, but no. As a kid, I have compassion for him because it probably there weren't, doesn't seem like there was a lot of options, but he became a very, very dark person. And he, he did start getting women and money, but he certainly seemed to hang on to a lot of resentment, especially towards women. Because um, they wouldn't fuck him and suck his dick when he was a kid. Yeah. Um, eventually, he left Columbus and went down to Chillicothe. But he always goes back to Columbus because even though he is a, considered a big-time drug dealer in Chillicothe, the bigger dogs were in Columbus. So he had to get his drug supply from the Columbus drug dealers. And nearly all of these missing women had purchased – or done drugs with, or had allegedly stolen from Moore. Mm. His childhood friend also mentions that when Moore would make his runs up in Columbus, he would take women with them, preferably pretty ones, so that they could be mules for him, essentially. It's a way to get them, they, you know, they shove the heroin up, up their coochies and they dress, have, he has them dress like on flashy and that way the cops don't look at them as potentially, wow. you know. What a smart so. guy. One time I almost went to the airport with um, uh, weed in my vagina, but um, I didn't at the last minute. And thank God, because that was when the TSA first started implementing those scanners. You know, the scanners where you stand like and they go whoop, whoop, like all around you. So they would have gotten it. But I was smoking weed with my brothers once. They said, where'd you get this? And I was like, I smuggled it in my vagina. I was lying. But um, they all spit it out. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) That's a fun little prank. Yeah, it's a good sibling prank. Um, (laughs) Now it wouldn't even been more. I mean, you can now just people don't even care about weed most of the time in the airports. No. But it would have sucked at the time. You might have gotten in big trouble for it. Oh, yeah. I could be in jail. We wouldn't be doing this series. Seriously. Got to get these fucking people out of prison for weed charges. So notably, so like I was saying, he did that. He would bring like, you know, attractive women, not dressed up just to kind of like mule the drugs back down to Chillicothe. Notably, so interestingly, the women who have disappeared or turned up dead are what I would consider remarkably pretty for a part of this country that has no frills. And I don't mean that as an insult. I don't mean that to be um, like, I don't mean to insult anyone from this part of the world. It's just when you're working in within a place with no means, no resources, and your natural beauty kind of comes through that, it stands out. Oh, yeah. It's a very meat and potatoes part of the world. Yeah. You know? They, they, they get it done. It's very earthy. Yeah, because a, a society, a lot of times what we consider to be pretty is somebody who's preened and has like all their makeup done and all this da da da. And which, a bonnet. <laughs> and a bonnet. Yes, that's the sexiest thing that a woman can have. Yeah, as we a bonnet know. and like a big fluffy skirt and a little poodle. None of this means that Maura is guilty of anything related to these crimes. While some of the incarcerated have spoken out against Ernest Dollar Bill Moore, women who know him are openly scared to speak out. So it's hard to place him for some of these cases. Yeah, because they speak out and like, you know, we can see historically the cops are just like, fuck these ladies. I don't care. So they'll speak out and then he's just going to go find them. (laughs) Yes. And even when he's behind bars, he elicits such fear from women working the streets that they won't talk. I'm sure that he has you know, people that he, who are connected to him, who are still out on the streets and they are oh, yeah. still scared to to talk out about anything. Yeah. He has his people. Yeah. So anyway, I bring up Ernest Moore because he was connected to most of these women and was known to be violent. Moore allegedly exacted this revenge on Arthur Hamlin for stealing a little bit of drugs. So it seems like it's not, it's not implausible that if any of these women double crossed him in his eyes, that it, yeah, it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that he would retaliate. Wow. He's like a warlord, like an ancient warlord. That's what this guy is that just yeah. kills people for fun. But he runs this little tiny town, you know, it's just wow. this little tiny pond that he's ruling, lording over. And a lot of um, Chillicotheans, Chillicotheans? <laughs> They feel this way, that, that he was maybe involved, or they claim to even know that someone knows someone who told them that he was here, blah, blah, blah. 
Of course, this all becomes difficult when you have half the city terrified of him and the other half hating him. Are they speaking out for revenge or because he actually had something to do with these things? It's not clear. Wow. This is a question that has come up with the murder of Timberly Clater, who we talked about last week. Timberly was the 38-year-old woman who, after becoming addicted to painkillers, she was prescribed after a car accident, fell prey to heroin when the pills ran out. So Timberly's body was sadly found in June of 2015 with bullet wounds mm. just south of Chillicothe. So this is the one that was not a suicide? No. This one is definitely uh, – there. she was murdered. Yeah. It's, yeah, there's really no arguing that. Jason McCrary, who – is serving 28 years to life for Timberly's murder, certainly has a decent rap sheet leading up to his arrest. McCrary was another local guy in his 30s who people in the drug scene all knew. Most of his prior charges were drug and theft related and also one uh, in decent contact with a minor. Oh, good. Yay. If, if you'll remember, we talked about him. He's on sex offenders registry. So good for him. Wow. Just a scumbag all around. I mean, if you're going to yeah. be a scumbag, you might as well just go for it. <laughs> right. However, McCrary insists that it was Ernest Moore who shot Timberly, saying that Moore approached them in McCrary's car because McCrary confirms that he was with Timberly that night. But he says that Moore approached them and accused Timberly of stealing before shooting Timberly in the head in a gas station parking lot. McCrory goes on to say that Moore made him then drive Timberly's body to a second location and leave her there, and that McCrary didn't have a choice, that if he tried to snitch on Moore, he would go after his family. Oh, my God. Nothing good goes down in a gas station parking lot. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No. Is there any truth to this? Possibly. No idea. They didn't pursue it any further because McCrary was already on trial when he talked about this, and it kind of felt like... They were already just like, yeah, whatever. If he didn't do it, we'll just charge it with him. He probably would have done it to somebody else anyway. So nobody really pursued this this charge, uh, this uh, accusation, I should say. And I'm not defending McCrary, by the way, or his actions, but this line of thinking is dangerous and it's disrespectful to Timberly and all victims. Uh, not only yeah. that, but we we can admonish somebody, you know, for shitty actions they took and still understand that doesn't mean he just deserves to be charged with crimes he didn't commit. Yeah, it just sounds like laziness on this on the part of a the the law. And then granted, yeah. I'm not a cop or a judge in this town. I don't know what they go through. It's probably mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. But um, just for someone to be like, oh, they this crime happened. Let's just charge him with this other thing, just because fuck it. Right. I'm, you know, I'm I'm swamped with paperwork. Yeah, and th- he's a piece of shit anyway. Whatever, just like yeah. throw him in the trash. And again, this isn't defending McCrary, but. We can admonish him for his actions, but doesn't mean that he just deserves to be charged with whatever. If Moore yeah. did do this or has something to do with Tamika's death and Charlotte Trego's disappearance, as many people suggest, he should face justice for those crimes. As it stands, Moore is set to get out of jail at age 63 and because he's only charged with this kidnapping thing. So if he's killed multiple women, he should probably not get out ever. No, because he's going to do it again. 63, that's still young enough to kill. Yeah, and also those women deserve the respect of somebody facing those charges, you know? And speaking of Tamika and Charlotte, another name pops up by many people, and that name is Crail Brooks. Crail is another name in the drug community in Chillicothe. Informants in prison claim that Crail and Ernst Moore set up Tamika and Charlotte for owing a few hundred dollars. If you'll recall, Tamika was sadly found deceased in a creek Mm. and Charlotte is still missing. Informants claim that Crail and another man named Preston set the women up. They gave Tamika a hot shot, which if you'll recall, a hot shot is tainted heroin that makes it look like it was an overdose when in fact it's like an easy way for people to take out these like, you know, addicted prostitute women who nobody wants to take any time to investigate. Yeah. So, but I bet that would, um, you know, imagine the moments before death, you probably had a good time. I I, I mean, I don't know. I hope so. Some of them are tainted with stuff like battery acid. So never mind. I recall what I said. Yeah. (laughs) I take that back. I was wrong and I'm sorry. (laughs) 
that's so horrible. Yeah, it's awful. It's awful. Like, um, so these informants say that Krail was the person who enacted the crime, but it was at the behest of Ernest Moore. So again, Ernest Moore comes back in. His name just shows up so much. It seems really hard to believe he didn't have anything to do with it. He's the kingpin. He's the drug lord. He's yeah. the big guy. Yeah. So Tamika was found, unfortunately. It was deemed an overdose. And sorry, this is graphic, but the informants also claim that Charlotte, who is still considered missing, they burned her up, essentially. Um, they killed her and they burned her. That's what the informants are saying. Oh, my God. And, which is they're saying the reason she hasn't been found. I sincerely hope that isn't the truth. I mean, you can still find bones because bones don't burn. Exactly. And it's possible, of course, but like you just said, it's really hard to burn up a body to the point where you can't find it anymore. No, we got too much moisture in our bodies. It's true. You really can't just you can't just like put a body on a fire and just make it disappear. So it seems like it would be maybe difficult for two, like, you know, low-level drug dealers to do this unless they simply didn't put any, the cops didn't put in any effort at all into looking for Charlotte. They just don't because care. You would think that, like, dogs would be able to pick up her scent if they had just half burned her body somewhere. Maybe um, acid? Maybe they dunked her in some acid? I guess, but it's to me, it's it seems like you'd have to have... The, it doesn't match to me the level of disregard they have for these women where they just throw – it seems like that's so much effort in their yeah. minds. You know yeah, what you I gotta mean? you got to get the acid. you got to get the barrel. They don't care. They're just going right. to go throw her in the woods. Who cares? Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't – my opinion, my and my as a forensics expert, in my opinion, <laughs> um, I think they would have found something of her. But the police claim that they, in fact, searched everywhere for her. So I don't know. They just walked in the woods and did a spin and been like, all right, couldn't. It's, yeah. like, it's like when I was a waitress and you were like, don't you have this in the back? Can't you get me this? And I just go stand in the walk-in cooler at like for two minutes yeah. and I come back. And I'm like, no, we're all out. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I just searched everywhere. I nope. searched high and low. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, I am sorry if there are police from this community who really like tirelessly looked for these women, but I know that it's not the case for the entire police force, as we'll find out. So um, Crail, uh, he's never been charged with anything related to these missing women. It's unclear if police ever even followed the leads regarding him. Crail is currently in jail for an unrelated assault charge and a police chase, which ended it with him crashing into a pool. Interestingly. Oh, that sounds, that sounds like a fun little scene, action scene in a movie. It does sound very much like a With comedy like a action movie. Dukes of Hazard music playing. Yeah. So then we have some serious signs of corruption. So way back in episode one of the 23 Pipeline, we talked about Megan Lancaster. And she has a sister-in-law named Katie who has taken Megan's case into her own hands because of the inaction within the police. Her sister-in-law, Katie, found all of those, if you'll call those sheets of detailed coded notes that were like loose leaf uh, yeah. um, in her apartment. Well, one of these numbers in one of these directories she had was a police officer. Ooh. It was a captain, actually. Ooh. It was his home phone number and cell phone in there. And it was under a list that said, people who give money for dances. Oh, no. So a cop gave money for dances. Well, it's what it says in her notebook. Uh-oh. Uh, oh, I bet so when it's her true. Sister, yeah. So when her sister-in-law, Katie, found this, she's a pip, that girl, I, uh, that woman, I should say. I'm sorry. She's not a girl. She said when she found that number listing, she just straight up cold called the captain at his house and was like, what the fuck is this, man? Like she just straight up <laughs> called his house and yelled at him. Good um, for her. Aries energy. I know. I know. Uh, I love it. But it actually probably would have been better if she had maybe taken it to a private detective or something, because the only thing that happened was that the Portsmouth Police Department sent her a letter telling her to not contact the police again ever. Um, Wait, you so, put don't contact yeah. the police again ever? What if somebody breaks into her house? Sorry, you can't call us anymore. All of it is fucked up. I... She has the letter, too. She, like, kept the letter within the notes of uh, Megan's. And it, it, they show it on one of the documentaries. And it's it's just sort of like, how is this legal? Weird. 
Don't contact the police, but you did the bad thing. Yeah. So and when she called the guy too, he was like, she doesn't have my number. What are you talking about? Katie's like, yeah, she does, dude. I'm looking right at it. Wow. So the guy just denied it and got pissed and stuff. So gaslighting at its finest. Right. Um, Some people have defended the police saying that Megan might have been an informant, which is, you know, why potentially this captain's number was in her thing because she was relaying information to him. And that information is very private if you're an informant. Even court systems don't know who an informant is until the police tell them. That's great. I could never be an informant. I'm so open. I'd be like, you guys will guess guess what happened. Guess what I did. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think I could do that either. No. Uh, so, yeah, it could be that. But also, that's convenient. However, just that just opens a whole new can of worms. Could she have been compromised if she was an informant? Was she taken out? By one side or the other, is there any mm. chance that police just moved her and re- relocated her under a witness protection program? She could be in witness protection. It's wow. tough. It's really, that's a tough scenario because while that probably would be the best case. I hope so because she's hiding from Dollar Bill. You know what I mean? She's got to get out of there. She's hiding from, yeah, she'd be hiding from a lot of people if she disappeared in this way. It's not enough, however, to stop looking for her because it's like you don't, if she actually did get out and made managed to get a new life, you don't want to blow her cover by talking about her and looking for her, but her family doesn't know where she is. And so it's it's not enough to stop because that's a very slim chance as, uh, as to that happening, you know, because we're talking about a culture that just doesn't give a shit about these ladies. I mean, we're talking people that just go, you know, throw them over a bridge and then it's deemed a suicide. You know, nobody cares. So what, why would they put this woman in witness protection? Right. It doesn't match the patterns of any, any, you know, law enforcement here to have put that much effort into protecting this woman. Unfortunately, these accusations of, you know, police being corrupt aren't without merit. The, if you remember the baddie from last week, Jennifer Kempton, uh, who was out on the streets trying to talk to the younger women prostituting, trying to get them off the streets. She was formerly a trafficked woman. Oh yeah. And so she like knew what the deal was and not just some like rando being like, I'm going to help because it makes me feel better. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. She wasn't doing that. Oh, hey buddy. Yeah. <laughs> to the homeless guy on the street. Uh, so she claims that there are quite a few police officers involved in trafficking, soliciting, and bribing, et cetera. Ooh. In fact, listen to this clip of Jennifer and a woman named Grace discuss this as Grace is getting her trafficker's tag covered up with a new tattoo. My trafficker is a police officer who's still working today. He did a really good job of disgracing my name and who I was based on my addictions and all that. But I was an addict because of the fact that he forced me to use drugs. I decided that I didn't want to prosecute because I didn't have anybody to talk to. Like, who am I supposed to go to when my trafficker's a police officer? You're only as sick as your secrets. All of my clients were police officers, firefighters, pastors, lawyers. Behind closed doors, I was being trafficked to all of these men who were the very ones who were supposed to protect me. It's very common. I was actually offered to get out of charges if I, you know, tricked with a police officer in the back of a cruiser. Just recently in the area I was trafficked in, three officers were removed from duty for solicitation of prostitution. It's very real. In December, a woman with a history of solicitation charges told police that an unknown police officer paid her for sex, and a University of Toledo study indicates he would be far from alone. Almost half of 43 Ohio trafficking victims surveyed said they'd been sold to law enforcement officers more than any other profession. So, yeah, these are some really strong, really intense accusations. I was reading a book on... um human trafficking in Ohio. Apparently it's so much, there's a book written on it. Yeah. But um, unfortunately, and I don't want to, I feel bad saying this, but a lot of people involved are police. Yeah. 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 Then in the, I think we touched on this last week, but 
I don't think everybody who's a police officer is a bad person. I think probably there are really good people as police officers, but... Yeah, I want to call you. If shit hits the fan, I want to call somebody. You know, if someone's breaking in my house, I want to call somebody to, like, get taken care of. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but, like, not... Don't don't be bad, please. <laughs> but the thing is with the quote-unquote good guys who are in the force, if they're not able or willing to acknowledge that there is a huge problem within the police community, they are part of the problem. They're part of the problem. You yeah. can't just act, you can't just get defensive and act like it's not real because it is. And if, if you're ignoring yeah. it, you are also a bad cop. I'm if sorry. If I had a friend that was like, you know, my good friend, but they do a little human trafficking on the side. Um, right. They're I no just don't really look friend. into it. You know, <laughs> yeah. we do our thing. We get brunch. And then when they do the trafficking stuff, I just so I go do I go shopping. You know, I go look the other way. But they're really nice. You know, they yeah. make a mean lasagna. Right. That's that's a lot of the attitude within the community of cops who aren't being the actual villains. They are just ignoring it and like or allowing it. That's not an ignorable thing. No. And this isn't just rumors. This has been widely documented and largely gone unpunished. This is uh, from a 2021 news article. So a Columbus division of police officer who was fired, given his job back through arbitration, then placed on paid administrative leave due to another investigation, has now been reinstated. Randall Mayhew was accused of having sex with three different prostitutes while on the job in 2015. Mayhew pleaded guilty to dereliction of duty and was fired in August of 2018. An arbitrator overruled that decision in November 2019, and Mayhew got his job back. On the same day he was set to return, the public safety director's office placed Mayhew on paid administrative leave because of another investigation. This investigation pertained to a known prostitute who alleged she had sex with Mayhew twice in 2015 while he was on duty. While Columbus Police Internal Affairs sustained the allegations, Mayhew was ultimately given his job back. Wow. So these cops are just having sex with prostitutes on their clock in, like people just going to the bathroom at work. Yeah. And while in this case, this was just straight, oh, we're having sex on the job. It wasn't like a violent accusation. Clearly, they have no problem doing these illegal things, and God knows what else they're doing that's not being reported. Yeah, that they throw people in jail for, that they're doing. You're throwing right. people in jail for the exact exactly. same thing you just did. Right. They're they're doing stings, catching people in these acts, and they're doing it on the job and not even losing their job for it. Wow. So, yeah, there's also the guy named Bobby Schoolcraft who was charged with solicitation on the job and got like a one-day suspension in this area. While these instances, again, aren't directly charged with violence, God knows. God knows. And no, I don't think all of these women are lying who's, who are saying that they were involved with police helping traffic them. No, I don't think they? they're all lying. Yeah. Why would they make that up? Why would I be like, oh, yeah, I had sex with a cop? That's such a like crazy big thing to say. Yeah. And also pretty dangerous. Yeah. You pretty dangerous thing to that. say. And, you know, people who want to say not all police officers, but... Like we said, those who look the other way are also to blame. I knew a guy in high school who um, sold me oregano and said it was weed. And then I went home and I was like, dude, this is oregano. And he was like, no, it's weed. And then I was like, nah, man, I want my $5 back. And he's like, I'm not giving it to you. And then he told everybody in school the next day that I called him and said that I got really high off oregano and I'm such an idiot. Oh, uh, um, what a dick. He's a cop now. <laughs> of course he's a cop he's now. A cop. Jesus Christ. I feel bad jumping on this like cops are bastards bandwagon, but here we are. We're talking about it. <laughs> we're we're talking about stuff that's very much steeped in reality. I don't I think it's an edgelord thing to do, just be like fucking murder all of them. I think that's stupid, honestly. Yeah. But I, I think if we're looking at the truth, there's a lot of people who should not be within this community of law enforcement no, or whatever the fuck we call some, it. Whatever the fuck. We're giving somebody like power, like a lot of power and a gun. That's a lot. I just, a lot I of like, guns. A lot of guns. Like if you were given that much guns and that much power, I would like someone to like look into it. You know what I mean? Like what are you guys doing on your day off? <laughs> yeah. Uh, my friend was just at a veg fest. It's like a vegan food festival outdoors. And she said the police officer who was there to, I guess, maintain peace amongst the vegans had seven weapons on him visibly. Seven. 
like multiple guns. What the fuck? Why? What are these vegans going to do? Complain? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's his peacemaker for all the fucking <laughs> yeah complaints that they're making about the food. It's insane. It, 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 Too much. It's a, it's a mess. All yeah. of it's a fucking mess. It's bad. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am and how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost. Chapter 1. Wayfair welcomes you to the Waberhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waberhood, she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. So are these cops responsible for some of these disappearances? As far as any of us know, none of them have been investigated, of course. That would take the feds coming in. And I don't think these women count enough in the eyes of the American justice system. Why haven't these claims by sex traffic women been looked into? This woman is on camera openly saying, I was trafficked by a police officer. My johns were all judges, cops pastors like they she just like lists these people off and um was just like you know they ruined my life this cop yeah. like took me in when i was a kid and ruined my life oh my um, god and you're reporting the baddies to the baddies so like yep. what's going to happen here probably nothing right because they're investigating themselves yeah oh um, no i did the wrong thing <laughs> yeah yeah oh man i'm sorry I'm putting on my investigation cap and I figured out that I did a bad thing when I wasn't wearing my investigation cap. Oh my God. Um, yeah, they're not going to send themselves to jail. They'll probably no. give each other a raise. Right. It, it would require a wider federal level, you know, look into this. Yeah. And they're probably doing human trafficking also. I know. God, nobody. No, all these people, they're all fucks. When you give somebody um, like absolute power, they get corrupted. Yes, especially. Yeah. And at this point, one of the, I think, main issues within the police force, in my opinion, is that they the police unions have made it so that they are kind of like mobs. They're like mob bosses. Yeah. Um, and they protect each other and we just keep giving them more weapons and tanks. So we're going to it's scary. We're in it's trouble. It's very scary. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was raised under the Matawa, um, which is like a religious police. And um, people are like, oh, and it's it's here. You know, we do the same thing here, if not worse. Like the Matawa was considered a human rights violation and they're no longer. Um, I've never even heard of that. Yeah, it was like for a brief po like moment in Saudi oh, Arabia. Wow. Um, just because oh. they had like absolute power, you know, yeah. so it was a human rights council was like, no, no, no. But like, we're doing the same thing here. It's mm -hmm. just they had more religion involved. Right, right, for sure. So yeah, it's... You know, again, like your very unique perspective of being in the South, being in Saudi Arabia, and they're basically just like the two it's spider the pointing same. at each other. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and also with Jennifer, I still kind of go like, why did Jennifer die? Was it really an accidental overdose? It's interesting that after she made these claims on camera, she suddenly found dead in a hallway. Oh, interesting. Um, I think it's total coincidence that she just said cops and judges and lawyers are like pimping and trafficking people. And then it's she just, dies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, I, I do. It seems crazy to me that there doesn't seem to have been anyone. No. And she got clean, this. right? Didn't she get clean? She it's as far, you know, she was I'm sure had her own demons and stuff, but she Whenever she was on camera, when she was doing her fucking TED talk, she certainly wasn't on a bunch of drugs. So I, who knows? It's just very frustrating. I wish I knew what happened to her because she's so she was great. And it probably wasn't like a direct cop or you know putting a gun to her head. They probably have connections with other drug people. You know, I mean, it, it goes all the yeah. way. You know, it could be so many scenarios. You know, um, and it's not just cops either. 
if you'll see this exhibit, why for yuck bucket, this man named uh, Michael Mirren, uh, he was a Portsmouth city councilman and attorney. Before his current charges that he has now, he was actually interviewed on Gone the Forgotten Women docuseries uh, as a positive person, like, a, oh, a help. Oh, this man's helping. He's an older man. He came across as very quirky and portrayed himself as the people's attorney in this documentary, working for the downtrodden of Portsmouth and surrounding areas. In the interview, it's weird. He's flanked by women who d- introduce themselves as former prostitutes and addicts who have turned their lives around thanks to Michael. Something feels weird in the interview. And I felt like this before I realized he was arrested. I was just like, this is strange. I don't know if I feel very comfortable with this. And it turns out it was weird what was happening. Trust your Um, gut, ladies. Yeah. A defendant frequently targeted women who had drug addictions or indigent and were facing criminal charges is one statement that has been made. He was arrested for trafficking women. He basically, so the the record goes on to say, defendant both implicitly and explicitly linked his continued representation of women to their continued compliance. Defendant used women's fear of imprisonment on their criminal charges, their desperation, and their drug addiction to compel them to engage in sexual activity for hire at his direction and for his benefit. So this dude, he's so like gross and when you see him interviewed, you know, maybe he could have been a good guy, but you get this weird vibe. And yeah. he he has these women on saying that, oh, he's he's helped me so much. And I'm now I've now I'm working a real job. And then you find out this dude is finding women who need legal representation and going, okay, I'll help you. What are you going to do for me? And then he would get them caught in this thing and he would degrade them, humiliate them, sell them to people, probably other people in law enforcement. And um, he was just arrested for this, I want to say, like last year. Gross. Um, Yeah. So he was doing this for a long time. Just manipulating people. He knows what he's doing. I hate it. Yeah. I mean, truly a monster. Like women had shared that Mirren would often have Johns at his office who would belittle the women who would not hesitate to grope them. The environment was likened to a meat market and the women were referred to as the product. Oh my God, I want to kill him. Yeah, I I'm hate sorry. this guy. I'm such a like peaceful person. You know, I like meditate and I pray and then I come on the show and I'm like, I want to kill him, kill him and throw him in jail and fuck him up. That's what I'm here for, just to ruin <laughs> the calm sea of your insides. Yeah. So in other words, he's another boogeyman within this community of a m- bunch of them. And this guy to me is even worse because he wasn't, he was never desperate. He wasn't poor. He had resources and an education. He did this for the cruelty. Yeah. Some people are just born fucked up. Yeah. I feel rage thinking about these women finding a glimmer of hope with this piece of shit only to be slapped back down. Like, I want to cut his dick off, to be honest. Yeah, because they need help. Like, these are people that really do need help. And they're like, oh, my God, thank you. Finally, someone. And Mm -hmm. he's like, nope, pulling the rug out from under that. Yeah. I mean, it's so repulsive and disgraceful. I I hope he never gets out of jail. I mean, he's actually, no, the trial's still ongoing. I don't think he's even been charged yet. They're still waiting to charge him. So he's still just going to Applebee's and chilling out? Yeah, I think he's on house arrest or something. Uh, I hate him. We should. No, I'm not going to say vigilante justice on a (laughs) public platform. Yeah. Order in like Grubhub and uh, just of like uh, donkey shit. (laughs) Like light it on fire on his front porch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's fun. Flaming poop. That's relatively innocent. So that's a shit note to end on here. But no, at least he's facing a reckoning, even though at the moment, you know, it's still ongoing. He will likely die in jail. So hooray for the little things. It's like chicken soup for indignant rage. Good. Die in jail. That should be the name of our show. I hope they die in jail. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, he's an older man. So he will most likely face these charges and then he's not going to make it out. So I guess enjoy the, the end of your life being alone and you know, in a cold, thankless place. So we got all these scumbag men. We got Dollar Bill. We got the judge guy. Yeah. We've got Ernest Moore. We've got Jason McCrary. We've got Crail Brooks. We've got um, the police captain who was found in that notebook. We have Michael Mirren. 
just there's a list and this is I'm certain just a tiny percentage of people who it could have been. It's just rotten. It's like a rotting body. This town like to the bone, you know, just the cops are rotten. The people are rotten and they're just using these women that they're just throwaway women, quote unquote, because they're drug addicts. Yeah. Who cares? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, And unfortunately, it got worse over covid the number of women on the streets has doubled over this time, mostly, most likely because of, you know, everything. So there's a lot of women in need of help right now in this community. And of course, the only way that we're ever going to really get out of this cycle is through empowerment, enrichment, education, and, you know, giving them a little bit of a helping hand somewhere. Yeah. Continuing to just throw these women in and out of jail is never going to change anything. No. It's the punishment culture. That's just not. And also the people that need to be in jail are the ones throwing them in jail. Right. And and also, you know, we of course you want to say, oh, we just got to get the killers off the street. We got to get these bad people. But it's like this is also a series of people who are broken, who have nothing. And you can't just find this one guy and, oh, we took the guy out. Now everybody's okay. Yeah. These women need help out of this situation they're in. So that's the reason I wanted to focus on the organization for this series is something that does that for women who want to try to get out of this situation that they they found themselves in. And it's called Freedom a la Carte. It's based in Columbus and it's a unique approach to food service, delivering a delicious way to make your meals more meaningful. Food really, really matters. I mean, if you're on a diet of honey buns your whole life, you're going to feel everything's hopeless, you know, but like, Oh, for sure. And not only, not only that. Yeah, for sure. This is definitely a place that celebrates food and the way food can be a a way to make you feel good or bad. Like the food has options to do both. Um, But not only that, their mission is people are not property. No person should be bought or sold for sex. Not here in central Ohio, not anywhere. Freedom a la carte empowers survivors of sex trafficking and exploitation to build lives of freedom and self-sufficiency. We believe that giving a woman practical job skills and developing strong work ethic is vital for creating a pathway to freedom. So we've created a safe place of restoration where survivors can heal, learn, and grow as they prepare for sustainable employment and reintegrate into our community. That's great. So, yeah, they... They work through, um, as I mentioned before, there's that catch court program that's run by Hannah Estabrook, where when these women come through the court system, they go here. I know this sucks where you are. Here are some other options for you. If you would like to try to get out of this loop, come do this. And Freedom a la carte works with a lot of these women. It's where Jennifer, I believe, first got out of trafficking. Um, you know, before she started Survivors Inc. That's so, great. And I, I like the job skills thing. Like, you know, teach people how to type and like computer skills, how to do nails, anything. For sure. Half of uh, freedom is just having the tools you need to take care of yourself. And yeah. instead of throwing these people in the trash, like they are trash, they're not. They're Many of them are wonderful human beings and they just need a hand. And so this, I love this organization. Um, so we're going to donate to them. I will send you the links on social media to, um, if you would like to also, or even just check it out. Or if you live in the area, like go, go get some, you know, food. They have like a cafe and they do catering and stuff as well. So yeah. So that's, that's, uh, the 23 pipeline. Um, we'll just keep these, uh, women in our hearts and hope that we, We'll see one or even all of them reappear and they will be alive and we will see them thrive moving forward. Yes. Um, That's our hope. That's our hope. And also for the uh, men in question to die in jail. (laughs) (laughs) The men who are, yes, the men who have been charged with actual connected crimes to this. Fuck them. I don't care about them. Um, Yeah. You get no job skills. (laughs) No. So, yeah, thanks for joining us for this. Uh, We will be back with a new series next week. And uh, I'm Natalie Jean. You can follow me at the Natty Jean and follow the show at Someplace Underneath Amber. 
I am Amber Smelson, all across the board on social media. We are Natalie and Amber, Saucy and Pert as always, signing out. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am and how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost. Chapter 1. Wayfair welcomes you to the neighborhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waverhood, she said, where Wafer helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trendsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home.